Welcome to our first video version of the Two Calls Show and Tell. For uh, long-time listeners, um, we were uh, paused as we kind of figured out what we were doing. Um, you can listen to this as your podcast, but also we're going to have a YouTube visual version um, where some of the tools will be shown um, if they're convenient. So, um, welcome, John Markov. Can you just introduce yourself very, very briefly? Sure. Um, I... Uh wrote about Silicon Valley for a number of publications beginning in 1977, mostly the New York Times. In the last five years, I worked on a biography of Stuart Brand. And um, we've known each other for a long time. You're a tech guy, um, a tech reporter guy, not necessarily a tech guy. So I'm really um, interested in um, the tools that you um, want to share. So um, we'll cover those and at the end we'll talk a little bit about your your new project your book Sounds so good. what's on your first um list well, I, you know I, this is really interesting because i made me think about what i really <laughs> care about when i because you know i'm so most of these things are not digital but i the the first thing um when i moved down to palo alto in 2017 um it was really wonderful in part because i rode a bicycle everywhere uh-huh uh, you know, I would do probably 10 to 15 miles of commuting bike, just getting around. You know, I was I was near Stanford to write about Stuart because his papers were there. And I was the first year I was behind campus at a place called the Center for Advanced Study and Behavioral Sciences, which is, a you know, there's a little bit of a hill at the end. So I was doing everything by bike, which, you know, I was too chicken to ride everywhere by bike in San Francisco, to be honest. And so it was liberating to be down here and live by bicycle. So uh, my first tool is... Um, a backpack that I bought without really realizing um, how perfect it was. And, uh, you know, I, I just can't, <laughs> there are very few things I rave about, but I've used um, an Osprey radial 26. Uh, it's a backpack Osprey makes for cycling for commuting. And I've used it since 2017, almost every day. Wow. And I can't tell you how well thought out the design is. I'm, I'm almost, I'm never this passionate about things, but I am this passionate about this backpack because it's lived with me for five years. It's held up for five years of everyday life. And there's just something. I mean, it's not like I can't go crazy about features. I mean, it's got good features, but it's just sort of the gestalt of the design. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, like there's little things like um, you, when you, you, do you have it with you. I do. I, br- I brought it here. It's a little and, you know, they've they've updated it. It's now I think they're the radial 26 and I have the radial 25. And, and um, is this something that you wear while you're riding on your bicycle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's just a, and you'll see this is, it's got this, it's got this uh, mesh to keep it off of your back when you're sweaty. Mm-hmm. That, you know, okay. A lot of people do that, but that's a nice thing. One of the cool things to do, it does is when you set it down, it stands up. It doesn't fall. I can't show you. But oh. it just stands up, And that's like a big deal. Um, right. It, you know, it's got a rational number of, of, of bags and pockets. It's got some stuff I don't use. Um, it's got an expanding thing where I put a lock in, <clears throat> which I use a lot. It has a rain cover, which I never used because I live in Palo Alto. Yeah. It covered, and your laptop fits in. Uh, yeah, there's a, la- a laptop thing. But, I mean, lots of packs have that. I mean, this right. is, you know, it just it's just the, com- you know, the combined feature set works out. And it just, it's been my companion. Um, I, you know, I go everywhere with this thing. And so I'm, it's like, it's one thing I'm super passionate about. So you probably use it for your carry-on in flying too, right? 
you know, I haven't flown for the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> but you will. When you, when you start flying, you'll, you'll use that as your carry-on. I could. I could use this as my carry-on. I haven't thought about that, actually. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, just a I – mean, just, just, and, and the other thing is, you know, anything that you use every day for five years and it, it, it withstands the wear and tear – it's good because I have banged this thing around a, a lot. And so anyway, that's. And what, what does it run for about? I think they're under 200 bucks. It's like a 170 or 180. Okay. Um, and they, they, they have an update and I, and I'm not, um, I, I've been thinking, well, this one won't wear out. So why would I get an update? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You don't need an update because it's going to last forever. Yeah. I think there's what you're explaining is some of that joy of the craftsmanship, you know, the thing that brings you joy when you touch it. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. that happens to me once a day. Um, and, and it's there's some design thinking. I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge industrial design guy, but I can look at the, I mean, I can use this. And I think, God, somebody really thought about this in a right, in the right way. Cause there are things where people think don't, you know, you can, you can see things that are designed by committee. For example, yeah. I have a Chevy bolt, which was clearly designed by committee and it just drives me nuts every day how they could do some of the things they did. And this is just the opposite of that. I'd like to, um, we should discuss, because we have a Chevy Bolt too. Well. <laughs> okay. We do need to discuss it. <laughs> but I have to say, um, there's lots of things I like about it. Absolutely, I agree. And so how could they get so close and screw up so bad? Because, <laughs> I mean, it was a revelation to me. We leave it on a 110 charger and we go everywhere in the Bay Area. You know, which is, it's, it's, it's done. I mean, we don't drive it every day, but we can yeah. go as far as Bolinas and as far as Santa Cruz on a 110 charger at home. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That part of it is just great. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's also for as bad as it is, it's the highest performance car I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, yeah. and, you know, they didn't put it on this list. I just saw that one of the um, environmental uh, websites did about most efficient electric car, uh-huh. but if it had, because they weren't manufacturing, but if it had been manufacturing, it would have been more efficient cost effective, I think, than the, than the uh, Tesla three. Yeah. 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 The top one. So, so um, uh, that's really great. So um, I, cause I have a little tiny backpack made in Japan that I've used every day forever. And um, it's, it's a similar kind of thing. It's actually not made anymore, which is why I can't really recommend it. But um, it, it's, it's every time I pick it up, yeah, I feel really good about using it and glad that I have it. And um, right now I, I can't imagine something else, using something else because I haven't seen anything else like it. So um, that, yeah. that feeling of um, appreciation maybe of a well-made, well-designed thing is part of what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, what's your second cool tool? Well, the second one is from, a, I, it's not really a former life. I can, I, it's up in my garage in San Francisco. So I can't actually, um, I can't uh, uh, show it to you, but there's a, a Swedish tent maker who makes their tents in Estonia called Hilberg. And about a, maybe a decade, a little more, I, I bought one of their two person tents. Uh-huh. And uh, when I was backpacking every summer, I, I lived in it and, you know, it held up well. It was light. It was well-designed. Um, it's called the Nalo 2. So this is the Nalo 2. Um, it, it's a two-layer tent, but, and it's not, it's, you know, there's a generation of ultralight tents that are a little bit lighter and I may be behind the times technologically, but for me, um, it's light enough. Um, you know, generally I split the weight of the tent with Leslie, my wife, and, um, you know, there's sort of, <laughs> You know, if if it 
if you can get through a good rainstorm and not get wet, uh, you, you know, a tent mass passes muster and it's carryable and, and more to the point, it's light enough and it uh, has persisted, you know, it's lasted through right. a number of summers. So it looks like kind of like um, there's a core of a Quonset hut feel to the main half cylinder tube. And then there's kind of um, entrance ways or yeah. little um, appendages on the sides. Um, I, I imagine this goes up pretty fast. Is it kind of like, yeah, once you get poles. Yeah, it's 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 simple. You can, I've set it up in a thirty-five mile an hour wind, um, which was challenging actually, but I did right. manage to get it set up. And uh, yeah, and it, it you know it's moderate. The first tent that I ever I didn't actually buy one, but do you remember Stevenson Warm Light tents in the sixties? No, I don't. It was a crazy light tent. This is actually you know when when Stuart first thought of the idea of the holder's catalog, and he was writing in his notebook. At the very end, he sort of parenthetically said, "Well." And every product should be held by a naked woman or naked person. I can't remember which it was. <laughs> and and that he got that idea from this crazy uh, tent designer in the 60s, Jack Stevenson, Stevenson yeah. who used to model all of his tents with, you know, it, he was like a nudist or something, just right. naked people. And the catalog was really unusual in the 60s. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, this this is along that the design of the warm light. It's a little heavier, but it and it actually works better. The warm light used to condense badly, and that was right. frustrating. So here it says that the um, minimum weight is four pounds, four and a half pounds, and then the packed weight is yeah. five and a half pounds. I'm not and sure. I think we get it pretty. Yeah, I never figured that out either. Uh, I I get it pretty close to four pounds in terms of what I take. And yeah. so, we, so you're carrying two pounds, which, you know, in, in the ultralight world these days, which I probably should join in my old age, that, that's like really heavy. <laughs> but it is kind of comfortable and, you know, it's secure and dry. And, yeah, yeah. And, and it runs for... Um, oh, they're not inexpensive. 815 now. I think I paid six or 700 bucks for it. But right, yeah, right, things, right. Um, um, and, and there's stuff not- made out of ultralight cloth like Dyneema now. And, you know, I look at that stuff, you can pay more than a thousand dollars for a tent that's super light and super strong. And I'm just not up to speed. Yeah. Um, I have, I have, I think a Nima um, that I got long ago and um, I used it when I was biking. Um, Cause weight doesn't, it's not as important when you're biking, but it's still important to me. <laughs> it's like, I don't see the sense of people paying Thousands and thousands of dollars for a super lightweight bike, which and then they add all kinds of gear onto it when you're touring. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'd rather just um, spend a little bit more money and not as much money on having lighter gear rather than having a lighter bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, There's great stuff. I, I think I need to. Well, so you know, I'm I'm post new hip now. I haven't backpacked yet yet on my new hip, but I it's like. I think it's an excuse to get an entire new generation of equipment, which I haven't availed myself to yet. Yeah. Well, this is great. Hill, Hill, Hilleberg or Hilberg? Hilleberg, yeah. And the, yeah. the thing I love about it, it's a Swedish company, but their factory is in Estonia. And so all the manufacturing is done in Estonia. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Well, thanks. Um, so we've got um, the uh, backpack and then your your tent. So what, what's another um, tool that you're well, uh, I have- favoring these days? So in the in the digital world, I figured I had to come up with one, and because um, you know, I, this in terms of tools, that's what I use mostly during the day, and I, it, it would have to be Scrivener, which is I, I think you've mentioned it before here some time ago, but but Scrivener also it's crafted in ways that I 
really respect. I use not only Scrivener, but I use a companion uh, program called Scapel, which is a visualization tool that you can then import like an outline into Scrivener. Mm -hmm. And I've now written two books in Scrivener. And, uh, you know, I, it's one of those things, it's a product that is so deep. I mean, that you, you know, you can go places with it that I just don't need to go. So you learn, you learn it uh, incrementally. And, you know, I use, I use it as a writing tool. I use it as a, uh, you know, all of my interviews for my last book, my last two books were stored in Scrivener. So I had access to them and sort of, it was, they were structured. Um, it's got this, uh, this nice note card uh, metaphor that, uh, you know, I use sometimes, I don't use all the time, but mostly it's super stable. I mean, I'm one of these writers who went through hell for several years with Microsoft Word and then just said, hey, life's too short to, to deal with, I don't know, what was it, Word 5 or Word 6 or something. And I left in 84 for a, a really nice Macintosh uh, writing tool called Nysis. And uh -huh. I, I use Nices for most of my daily writing, but for big projects, Scrivener has a, a lot of the structural stuff that I that I found very useful. Yeah, and so for um, for the people who aren't familiar with with Scrivener, the way it works is that it um, it uses roughly a card metaphor, like a three by five card metaphor, as the organizing um, motif of of the thing that you're writing. And originally, it was like you can imagine posting these on a corkboard and then rearranging them. Um, but over time, it kind of you have other ways of viewing your work. Um, but the idea would be that you would have these units that you could move around and you could add research in, as units and you could write in, in these units. And then you could rearrange the units very easily, visually, and um, then it would consolidate or converge or meld all those things at the end. Is that basically the way you yeah. describe it? That's one of its, yeah, that's one of its features. I mean, you know, you can go in different, one of the amazing things that I've never dealt with is it, it lets you, it, I mean, it has sort of a programming uh, language within it, within it, and it lets you output in all of these different um, formats. There turns out there are lots of digital publishing formats that I don't have to deal with. And so that's not my department. <laughs> I just, you know, as a matter of fact, to deal with the publishing industry, I then convert the files back into Word docs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which is just horrific because then you have to iterate and that's right, a disaster. Right. I've done that twice now, but at least when you're working on your project, you don't have to work. And right, so, right. So, yeah, so, so it is a little bit more of a publishing platform in the sense that you can output not just as a Word, but as a PDF or an EPUB and all these things. So you can go more directly, but in terms of the actual creation angle, that's what I, I but I, you know, I use it as well. And it's um, it's really made for long form writing. It's not, I mean, there are uh, softwares that are made for screenwriters and scriptwriters that have that. This is um, more for, I would say, um, fiction and nonfiction rather than screenwriting. Yeah where you have lots of pieces and you're trying to um, organize and reorganize them. That's basically what it's for. Yeah, and I have basic material. I mean, I in this last project, I went back and forth between Evernote, uh, where I was keeping the third-party material and I was keeping my interviews in, uh, in, in Scrivener. And, and that was a little bit awkward, but, you know, it worked. Um, also, the, the thing they need to refine a little bit is it's still awkward to go between different devices you have to take care when you, i mean i i move between ipad portable macintosh and a desktop mac all the time 
And, you know, at least in the Mac world, the Apple world, you can do that seamlessly. And you have to, you have to make sure you shut down one version of your document. Oh, on and that's just drives me nuts because I always forget. Yeah. Um, they could refine that a little bit, I think. Yeah, the working on the cloud sort of aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, um, yeah and um, uh, it's actually Scrivener is one of the most common um, reviews that we get and cool tools, at least among <laughs> writers, because um, it has transformed people's writing so much in being able to tackle something really long. Um, and, and, and and as you mentioned, it's not just the, the words that you write, it's also a lot of the research yeah. that you're able to kind of move around and keep track of. Yeah, which is still a, an, an open field as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yes. I pushed Evernote way over the edge. Uh, you know, I had a 16 gigabyte file that it kind of it kind of started wheezing badly. <laughs> Just when I was finishing, Google came out with a tool for reporters called Pinpoint. It looks like it's really promising, but uh -huh. it wasn't you know I it wasn't it was too late for me. Right, and, right, right to change. Yeah. yeah. So um, John, I think you have a fourth one for us, right? What did I what did I put? I I put something on the well you the O ring. So this is you know um, this is just simply a O2 monitor that you can keep on all night and uh, it will tell you if you desaturate and it uh, you know just a, it's an uh, it, it talks to your it talks to your phone um, uh -huh. with Bluetooth, but it's it's a it's a, a nice device. Um, and as you get older, you need stuff like this. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, and this this will um, if you desaturate, this will uh, will alarm and wake you up, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, so, so you wear it on your finger, and it has you, you put it on your on your thumb. It has a sensor on your thumb. Yeah. Okay. And it 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 has uh, it has infrared. I think uh, sensor. Could you hold it up again? So I oh, can... yeah, sorry. It has so it it expands when you put it on your finger or thumb, and that that turns it on automatically, and it. It gives you heart rate, motion, and uh, saturation. Um, and do you wear it like all day or just at night or? Just when I sleep, just when I sleep. And it tracks your sleeping as well? Yeah, well, it doesn't, it's not a sleep monitor, but it'll, it'll give you that data points on those three things all night long. And you can set it either for heart rate uh, alarm or for desaturation alarm. And it just, it just vibrates. And, but it, and does it, has it changed your behavior in any way? Well, it gives me a, a little bit of, um, so as someone who has apnea, um, uh -huh. you know, and has forced himself to live with a CPAP mask, um, this, if I don't have a CPAP mask, this will, this will, you know, sort of protect me a little bit. Uh, I see. Okay. So it wakes you up and you, you know that you, you're, you're in a, you're had a hypoxia event. Right. So like if you were traveling, would you just travel with that instead of traveling? With if I had to. Yeah, exactly. Once again, I haven't been traveling as much as I'd like. But yes, that, that's the idea. So if you, although, you know, they have they have portable CPAP machines these days. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I bought one of those. Yeah. But anyway, it's just, you know, once again, well thought out, works transparently. Um, you know, you can recharge it easily with a micro USB connector. Right. And take, take all the data down as well. Right. The data comes seamlessly. Um, you just, Wi-Fi? Uh, you just, uh, Bluetooth. You just Bluetooth. take it off. You take it off and it talks to it and it, it shows up in about 20 seconds. Okay. All right. Like it, chart, it charts it and you can keep a, a record. Oh. Cool. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it seems like refined design. They These guys well use some kind of a Chinese consumer health company. It has a million products, which I haven't looked at, but this one seems, seems nice. Well, thanks. That's really great. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and finally, we want to talk about your um, new project, your book, 
which is a biography of Stuart Brand, who was the originator in many ways of this very podcast. Um, Stuart, of course, is the founder and creator of the Whole Earth Catalog, subtitled Access to Tools, which was this catalog of tool handy things that you had no idea existed or uh, might have wanted and didn't know where to find them. And um, I worked with Stuart on the catalogs. And then when the internet came along, it kind of killed the catalog. And I moved it my own to the internet with cool tools. And here we are. So John has <laughs> written a biography of Stuart. Um, and Stuart's a very interesting character from many ways. You want to give us your two-minute elevator pitch yeah. on the book? Yeah, sure. Which I'm and sure for, you're very good at by now. <laughs> no, I'm working on it still. I'm just it's only been out for it's published on last last month on March 22nd. So I've just been working on it for a little bit in terms of pitches. And the first thing I have to say is this book exists because of you. Um, you know, you were the one who called me up and said uh, this was in 20 in the middle of 2016 and said, you know, somebody should write a a biography of, of Stuart. And then you said it should be you. Right. That kind of shocked me, but I went over and talked to Stuart and it ended up happening actually. And this is, you know, we need to have another conversation because about every decade and a half or so, I have a conversation with you and you sort of set my life off in another <laughs> It's time for our next conversation. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, what's next? Um, well, okay. yeah, you, you were primed for it. And the reason why I thought of you is because you grew up in Silicon Valley and in many ways, while this is a biography of Stuart, it's also trying to kind of explain a little bit about why Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley. And um, we're not going to put all the blame on Stuart, but that was part of, I think, your own thinking through about yeah. trying to explain. And was you know As I said in the, uh, the subtitle of the book, there are many lives of Stuart Brand, and several of them were around the valley. And that, you know, that was the original. I mean, well, that wasn't even the original. I mean, I also felt like I was about 10 years behind Stuart over a long period of time. He was going down this path that I ended up going down too. And that, that was interesting to me. Um, and just, just briefly, I mean, the whole Silicon Valley thing that Stuart was part of a puzzle I was trying to figure out. And I, you know, I found this lost journal. It was lost in the back of gate five road. Uh, it didn't get to Stanford and it really it was it lost on purpose. Was it deliberately kept out or was it just forgotten? That's I think forgotten is probably the case. But at some point, Stuart went back there and said, oh, you might be interested in this, too. Mm -hmm. um, this was an account of a failed project that was right before the whole of catalog. And to the your point about tools and, and the original sort of insight into tools, you know, if you ask Stuart, um, you know, where did this tool thing come from? He'll say, well, I'm just I was just channeling Buckminster Fuller because, of course, Fuller had said, you know, if you want to change the world, give someone a tool and teach them how to use it. And that was Stuart was attuned to Fuller at that point. He'd, he'd heard him lecture in San Jose in 1966. And the the original whole of catalog is permeated with Fuller and, uh, you know, the, the, it opens with Fuller and, and, and stuff like that. But what I also got out of that catalog that was that Stuart was in 1967, the year before, and early 68, the year before he started the catalog, he was also under Doug Engelbart's spell, much more than he remembers. But you can yes. see it in the journal. And that was a revelation to me. Um, right. and, and, you know, of course, Engelbart was working on the universal tool, right. um, the, 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 you know, the, the future of computing. And Stuart picked up all of that. And so, right, right. so, so, can, so for, for people who are just coming along here, Doug Engelbart was a key 
innovator and a key philosopher and and creator of um, the digital world that we have. Uh, he his some of his ideas did not prevail, um, but he was also a lot of his ideas have seeped into the very interfaces that we're now using today, and um, um, and so Stuart working with Doug and alongside of Doug and being mentored by Doug and maybe having influence on Doug, I don't know. Um, that th- that that relationship was was sort of central in many ways to what we are now using and what we're now familiar with and some of the decisions that were made along the way. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much there. Stuart, you could see him become just for a brief time, a bit of an acolyte. I mean, there's this passage where he talks about going up to Kesey's farm in Oregon and lecturing on computing. I mean, that just kind (laughs) of, he has no memory of doing that, but you can see it in the, and, you know, he was, he was close to one of of Engelbart's young programmers, a guy by the name of Dave Evans. And Evans was actively trying to bridge the world between the technology of of, of SRI and the counterculture. Right. And they, they, there was a famous uh, conference that was actually the starting point of uh, sustainable design, the right. Alloy Conference. But right. then there was a second conference called Paradigm, um, which was not as successful, where they right. really right. tried to bring together the Engelbart group right. Right. and that counterculture. So, you know, um, this, is not, um, this is not your view necessarily, but this is my view about your, your view, <laughs> which is that um, in some ways, your Stuart is this... Um, until now, or until now, one of his many lives is seen as this kind of countercultural hippie guy. And um, the shock always in encountering Stuart was how unhippie-ish he was. Yeah. Um, I still remember we went to, one of our first trips together working with him as we went to a, I think it might have even been Apple somewhere, where there was a cafeteria inside the um, uh, the compound inside the company. And you have all these amazing foods and you go up and Stuart orders his lunch and he ordered a hot dog and a Coke. It was like, what? My, my image of him had at that moment completely transformed because I thought it was going to be, you know, a veggie burger or whatever it was. And so um, he's definitely not hippie, but the, the, the thing about it is, is that he was very influential in the hippie world and some people kind of could give him credit because it could have been that, computers would have been rejected as the thing that you're the, the inorganic, the thing that you're competing, that you're fighting against, but he was in part responsible for making them this alternative technology, appropriate technology thing by, by incorporating them into the catalog. So he, in my, in many ways, he changed my mind about where I was placing computers. It wasn't just him, but he was certainly articulating it sooner than most people. I mean, he was, I mean, almost primal. I mean, he was the one in that Space War article on Rolling Stone. That was where I learned about the arrival right. of computing and networks. Right. So that's the, that's the epitome, that's hipness. That's the apex of hipness, Rolling Stone magazine. And you have this guy talking about computers in, in, in like they're, they're cool. So he kind of like, he was kind of responsible for making computers cool in some ways. Yeah. And, but I, there's so many threads here to pull on. In the 60s at that point, there were all of these separate threads boiling on the mid-peninsula around mind expansion. There was, um, there was psychedelics, uh, there was the Eastern religion, there was human growth, and there was computing. 
And all of these were different approaches to augmenting the human mind. And Stuart sort of drove an arrow right through the middle of them in the 60s. Right. And, and by the way, Doug Engelbart was the kind of main vector of the mind expanding version of, of computing versus yeah. other places. He was he was very much on that. That was one so of his things. Stuart saw that and communicated that first. Right. Um, so these are the kinds of wonderful things that John's book um, covers. Yeah, it's called Whole Earth. That's a self-portrait of Stuart there in North right. Beach in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and um, there are, you know, as, as people may or may not realize, Stuart has been involved in so many things at the early stages of it. It's kind of remarkable. And that's what his, um, John's book is, is about, all the many things. And the digital Silicon Valley is just one of those. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, just one last thing in that journal. One of the things that just blew my mind is he's out there at Lama starting a commune. And then uh, uh, he says he gets kind of bored, leaves after two weeks. And he says, here I am in Menlo Park. I'm going to let my technology happen in 1967, four years before Silicon Valley was named. Yeah. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he saw it coming. He had that nose. Yeah. Um, so, so John, is there anything else you want to say about, about your book um, to people that um, may not be evident? No, this is, uh, you know, what, what should Stuart get credit for? And I think I found four or five different ways that he's reframed the way we look at the world. I mean, that's Stuart's real contribution. Does that make him a philosopher? What does that make him? But he's done it multiple times. And I would also say that, that John, being um, a veteran journalist, um, has written a very easy to read book. You can kind of go through it very fast. It's... Um, um, it feels very fluid and smooth that you're not, not, not a lot of fluff. You're getting a really great story that's very complicated and will touch on um, many of the things that were happening in American culture, um, which is makes it really kind of fun, I think, to read. So I would encourage everybody to enjoy it. I re highly recommend it. Thank you very much. Um, so thanks, John, for sharing your showing tell, your, your cool tools. We really appreciate it on this inaugural uh, video version. We'll work out a couple of little glitches as we go along. So um, thanks again for, um, for joining us. Yeah, I, thanks, Kevin. I've enjoyed Cool Tools for a number of years. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, we also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. 
You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, uh, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website um, and they are also free. And finally, um, I wanna mention the fact that um, we do have a Patreon and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month. And for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page. And all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan. And um, we'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you to this week's patrons who include John Omer, Andrew Smith, Tom Hanks, Michael Burson, Steve Golden, Nick Gray, Cindy Sherman, Thomas Off, Rel Deshaw, and Sean Living. Thank you all.